Right, good morning. I'm really hoping that this is going to work this morning. Um, do let me know if you can hear me. Let's have our jingle. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. So good morning everybody and I'm really hoping that my microphone is working and that you can join me on this Friday morning break with me Poppy Gibson. So great to see we've got lots of people joining me on the chat. Yes Tom is letting me know that he can hear me and we have Simon here as well. Good morning. So I do apologize for the tech issues which I think as educators we all know can be one of the scariest bits of teaching, which is worrying if the tech will work or not. But welcome and thank you for bearing with me while we sorted out the issues my end. And I am very pleased to say that I have got two fantastic guests coming to join us this morning on the Friday morning break. We have got the fantastic Nicola Higgins coming along to join us. She is a consultant in SEND. And we also have the brilliant Julia Carr, a senior lecturer and educator coming along from Anglia Ruskin University in Essex. So just before I hand over to our guests, what is the theme for today's show? Well, I think whether you come and join us as a primary school teacher, a secondary school teacher, someone working in college or in university like me, as I am a senior lecturer in education at university level, what we all share is this need to want to support and inspire our learners. So the theme for today's show is supporting and inspiring our learners, whatever their age, whatever your classroom looks like. We all want to help our learners reach their potential. So we have got Nicola and Julia coming along this morning to encourage us to think how we can support and inspire our learners. So hopefully, without further ado, we have got Nicola here to join us this morning. So good morning, Nicola. Good morning, Poppy. It's nice to hear you. Yes. Oh my goodness. I'm so happy. It's like an early Christmas miracle. I just wanted to say as well, thank you for um, having no tech issues your end, which is a real pleasure. So Nicola, I wondered if, first of all, if I hand over, can you please tell us about you and your teaching background? Yes, of course. Um, so apologies for anybody that uh, was listening and heard me jabber on. Um, but yeah, I qualified um, as a primary school teacher from Shepherd Hallam um, back in 2002. And since then, I've stayed um, in the in the area, really. I've been I've done supply um, across early years, Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2. Um, I've been I've had lots of different coordinator roles from, you know, literacy coordinator, SENCO, early years lead. I've been assistant head. I've been on the senior leadership team. Um, I've done my... Um, Masters in Education um, and I have a P, um, postgraduate diploma in mentoring and coaching um, and I joined Fusion Centre which is part of um, Talbot Specialist School which is um, a specialist school for cognition and learning um, in Sheffield and I've been working with them. We're a team of teachers um, who um, have got sort of trained and you know lots of expertise in working with children with special educational needs and disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, we support mainstream and specialist setups from early years right the way up to post 16 um, and um, we're kind of a really flexible team um, we're a traded service so schools buy us in 
um, and essentially we can support them where they would like us to be. So it allows us to be really responsive for them and flexible. So some days I'm um, training, I'm training um, teachers, I might be uh, training teachers on um, a specific intervention, something um, mm -hmm. like shape coding. I might be talking generally about dyslexia and how we can support dyslexia, uh, children um, with dyslexic profiles. It could be dyscalculia, it might be about um, uh, absolutely anything really. We, um, we pretty much um, support the school as they would need. I also work one-to-one -one with children, um, complete lots of assessments um, and write reports. Often the reports are used to support um, the HCP um, process and obviously to support, give advice and recommendations for those children in class. Um, I work with groups of children, um, I can observe groups of children, I work with teachers and support staff in general, so it's a really lovely varied role and I'm really enjoying it. Wow, wonderful. Nicola, you sound like a very busy person. It does feel like that. <laughs> but what an incredible background that's led you to this point. And I love how you just threw in a master's and a few diplomas in there as, as you do. well. Just as you do. <laughs> just as you do. So that sounds fantastic. So kind of off the back of there then, I wondered, what, what do you really think are the barriers for schools in meeting the diverse needs of pupils with SEND? And, and how do you think you know, because most of our, our people listening will have learners with needs in their classes. Yeah. How how can these be addressed? Yeah, I think, like, yeah, I'd be surprised if there was anybody that didn't have um, needs. I mean, a lot, um, be they diagnosed or undiagnosed. Um, and I think, I think that's a, a big barrier, isn't it? We've got waiting lists for diagnosis. We've got lots of children that we think, um, you know, need to be seen by somebody um, in the, you know, sort of a, in the medical field to think, you know, is there something more that we can be supporting this child with? Is there something underlying there? Um, mm -hmm. And the waiting lists are such that we're just not able to get the children to be seen. Um, I think it's hard not to be political a little bit because obviously there's an ever increasing pressure on teachers and support staff, um, which kind of keeps being added to, um, and it's hard to fit everything in um, as a teacher. I, I, I know what it's like. Um, you do have to wear many hats. Um, sometimes you feel like you're doing so many, so many different roles. Yeah. Can, you know, yeah. it's hard to actually focus on the children that you feel sometimes that need, you know, need your support. Um, funding's a big one. We yeah. constantly, as you well, you know, you know, we think, oh yes, we're getting, uh, we're getting some more money for schools, and then we realise actually it's been taken away by something else, and and that is a real hard um, hardship for schools. You know, having the money to staff appropriately, having the money to um, resource appropriately, it's really really tough, and just time, um, because again, yes. they're all kind of linked. Really, we just don't have time to implement things. We can, we think, you know, we. We sometimes get a moment to reflect on a lesson and we think, oh gosh, if only I'd have done X, Y and Z, that might have helped that person there. Or, you know, next time I'll make sure I've got X, Y and Z in place. But you simply don't have the time because we have yes. got so many, so many hats that we're wearing. So um, true. And Nicola, I think just like with anything in life, it always comes down to time and money. <laughs> so yes, I think you, yeah, yeah. you summarised <laughs> it quite well. But no, thank you. That's really interesting. So, so my next question really, how do you think schools can work with families of pupils with SEND in the most effective way? Yeah, so I think um, I think communication is key here. Um, and I've been, you know, I've, I've been on um, that sort of Senko side and, um, and I, I can, I, it's sometimes really hard to establish relationships because of course, um, sometimes we're the first people that are saying to parents, actually, we think there might be something underlying that's causing a barrier to learning for your child. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be quite a scary thing as a parent um, to, you know, to, to hear that actually we think, you know, your child might have special educational needs and 
needs to be put on a, a you know a special education needs register it needs to be monitored that's a real scary issue so i think it's about being honest open and having and trying to have that open door policy where those lines of communication are kept open as best they can you're trying to develop um, trust it's really important yes. that we have that strong relationship of trust with the with the parents um, and we need do need to have a good relationship with them because you know we're all trying to we're all sort of stakeholders really in, in trying to support that child to 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 meet their potential and it's really important that um we know with each other what's going on um i think we need to make sure as as educators that we include lots of positives as well because we're forever looking at what's next what's next what's next and that can yes. be a really, give a really negative overview to parents sometimes we some i feel sometimes that we're constantly saying well they can't do this they can't do that they can't do this so we're trying to do this that and the other so that they can do that well actually the likelihood is that child's got a huge number of strengths and it's just that perhaps our education system doesn't necessarily um you know uh, flag them up in the way that you know there would be i mean we've got you know children that are amazing dancers amazing amazing yes, sports people yeah. amazingly creative and what have you amazingly um orally sometimes they just find it hard to get it down on paper so it's about making sure that those positives are heard too um they feel sometimes i think parents sometimes feel that they only ever hear from schools when things go wrong <laughs> and we want to kind of oh my goodness yes that. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true i think that's one thing that i learned when i was a primary school teacher was don't only contact the parents and yes. carers when there's something negative. Yeah. Like even even if it's as brief as I remember, you know, at quarter past three when you're dismissing the class, make sure even if it's making eye contact with a parent, yes. putting a thumbs up, thumbs up. Yeah. saying they've had a good day, it's it's so valuable. You are so right, and I think what you're saying is so true it's that partnership and i love that word you use nicholas stakeholders the fact we're all stakeholders in that learner's life that is so true like we all want the best for them and it's only when we communicate that we can really kind of figure out what the best is isn't it it is and i think sometimes parents have got um you know negative perhaps views of their own from their own learning journey and i think it's really hard for some parents to come into schools and actually to have those conversations and recognize that we're all on the same page and that we are all working together because of maybe negative connotations they've had from their own past um, yeah so it is about breaking those barriers down but you know and, and we can do things like you know lots of schools hold coffee mornings um where you know it's like a drop-in um lots of cultural and community events um you know signposting parents for practical support trying to kind of get into you know you know into see the people that they need to be seen because of course we've got to remember that not everybody will know what to do in these situations and yes. don't realize that there are actual actually lots of support services and some of them are charitable organizations that can support them um, if they're going through something so it it might be that they've received a diagnosis for adhd for example well there will be mm -hmm. charities that are local and support groups that are local that can help that parent and it, even there are respite groups there are lo lots of different people that offer um for example in sheffield we, we have um access to things like you know local play centers will put on autism friendly um play sessions where um you know you can go and parents can know that they're with other parents who just get it and can have a chat and have that support on that side of things as much as yeah, support in so schools as well. So true. And I and I love that as well, Nicola, what you're saying that when we have our child diagnosed with a special need, it can be quite a worrying and isolating feeling. But just yeah. remember that in addition to the school, that there are all those agencies and support services and charities. That is great advice. Thank you. So if we, if we kind of focus maybe on you and your role as consultant teacher in SCND a little mm -hmm. bit more then, 
how do you kind of work with schools and, and ensure that you meet their individual needs? Yeah, well, um, we, we, when we sort of take on a caseload of schools, if you like, um, you know, and we go to the school, we have a planning meeting often with them, normally with the SENCO and often with their head teacher or senior leadership as well. Um, and we have a we have a, a good chat really and get to know each other and you know we can go and have a look around the school and if we've not been before um, and find out what are the needs of the school where is it they're wanting to go because as well you know schools have got development plans they've got lots and lots of things in place to and monitoring and um, strategies and what have you that mm-hmm. um, allow them to tell us exactly you know we're trying to improve reading we're desperate to improve reading we feel that you know we need to that's the way we need to go. Can you support us with that? Um, and the children that, you know, are, are struggling with reading. So then we we might kind of, you know, we'll support them to help learners with special educational needs in reading. Um, and we can have a, a think about maybe interventions or supports that they need in terms of training and what have you. Or it could be that um, they've got children that they're wanting to apply for an EHCP. So it, it might be that, um, you know, we need to um, do some more formal assessments with the child to sort of, work out what is their learning profile um Mm -hmm. you know how can we support that child in class and um you know where can we go where can we go with this child so um we develop relationships with the schools essentially and work with them to find exactly what it is that they want we kind of sometimes we're a critical friend really we recommend um reviews of certain practice um uh, you know we sort of think sometimes um we can see we're kind of in a really privileged position because we're an outsider going in um we can see an area for improvement or attention that perhaps has been overlooked because when you're in it, it, it can be kind of all encompassing. Um, and sometimes it does take that person that's outside to say, have you thought about doing X, Y, and Z? Yes. And more, yes. So true. More often than not, it's they're like, Oh gosh, I did that. I used to do that all the time. And it's just yeah. <laughs> something new has kind of taken over and you know, that bit's kind of been put to the side. Um, and you know, it's sort of about being open and flexible really. So, Sometimes we go in expecting to do one thing and another, you know, we end up doing something completely different. But we listen to the needs of um, the school community there and we, we're kind of making suggestions rather than just sort of waiting for them to ask for certain types of work. Because sometimes schools don't know what they need. Yes. Um, and it's, you know, that allows us to kind of go in and say, right, well, I've noticed that with the children that I've been working with, we seem to have an area of need in terms of sentence structure and, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. Can, you know, let's have a think about introducing some shape coding because I think that would work really well for your learners that, um, mm-hmm. you know, that and it's about kind of getting to know the schools there. So more often than not, we tend to work with the same schools, um, although we, you know, as a team, it's great because we can call on each other's expertise and what have you. Um, but um lots and lots of support in terms of you know what what is a quality first teaching and how can we offer that and supporting newer teachers who perhaps haven't had um another barrier really you know uh, initial teacher training it doesn't always as you as you know it's so packed jam full of everything it can't yes do as much as it needs to perhaps you know we would say oh you, you need to do lots and lots of special educational needs teaching in ITT but you know you just can't shoehorn everything in so sometimes we're working with maybe newer teachers who perhaps haven't develop that repertoire yet of of things that are just general quality first teaching um in terms of you know offering visuals and and supports in in class really so it's a really varied role um and it really does you know it can be quite bespoke really for the school yeah it it sounds fascinating so so really just my i've just got one more question for you really then nicola you told us kind of all about your work and, and about the work fusion does i just wondered for any teachers listening um, or trainee teachers yeah. who are maybe thinking about getting into SEND support 
um, what kind of is, is your best advice or, or just generally what, what would be your top advice for teachers out there in the classroom? I kind of think um, it's confidence a lot of this. <laughs> I think sometimes we just um, we feel that we have an area we're very good as teachers aren't we be our own critical friends but we're sometimes yes. very friendly <laughs> towards each other to ourselves <laughs> so I think mm-hmm. I think it's about having the confidence to think do you know what let's pair things back let's slow down our language let's slow down our you know think about the vocabulary that we're using let's um, make sure that our classroom environment is, is you know is 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 conducive to good learning for everybody because what supports a child with SEND will actually support everybody. It's not going to harm anybody having a visual timetable so that the children understand what's happening and what have you. Um, yes. It's about kind of ensuring that your environment's right and that we're actually thinking about those learners because I think sometimes it's really hard to worry about, it's really easy, sorry, to worry about um, the pressures that we're getting from externals, like, you know, worrying about Ofsted and worrying about something that actually isn't there. And our learners yes. are with us all the time and we need to focus on the learners then. And by having that kind of, by looking up their, at the learning um, that they're at at that point and by thinking, right, how can I actually um, support them in class right now? Um, sort of pairing it back, really. I yeah, think that's fantastic. I love that. And I love that sentence you said in there, Nicola, focus on the learners, because I think, when we're educators, there, there is so much, you know, yeah. we, we're working within these structures, there can be a lot of paperwork, a lot of planning. But if we focus mm. on the learners, yeah. like, I think you can't go wrong. So no, fantastic final words. <laughs> thank you so much. And Nicola, I just want to thank you so much for coming to join us today and talk to us about the amazing and inspiring work that you are doing. And, and hopefully you'll stay in touch. And um, is, is there a way people can maybe follow you or, or contact you if they wanted to or find out yeah. more about Fusion? Yeah, so I mean, we're predominantly based in South Yorkshire, but we we do all sorts. Um, so we're on, we're on Twitter. We're at Fusion Send Hub, and we also, if you Google Fusion Send Hub, um, you will find us too. So um, yeah, I'm sure you'll you'll find us that way if you would like to. But um, just because you might live in I don't know Aberdeen or somewhere, um, I noticed somebody I think from Saudi West Sussex there, and somebody I think even said Saudi Arabia. We would be <laughs> yeah. more than help. You know, that was the great the one great thing that came out of the pandemic was that we're now all adept at Zoom and uh, and remote uh, things like this so we're happy to talk to anybody <laughs> fantastic thank you and SEND is a global uh, phenomenon so thank you so much Nicola thank you, thank you. we're going to go to the news now but have a fantastic weekend when it arrives thank you thanks Nicola bye, bye. this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational a leading publisher of books directories educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
Morning Star reports on claims being made by the union Unison that school support staff are using their own money to help pupils and families cope with crippling living costs. A survey of more than 6,000 workers, including teaching assistants, caterers, cleaners and librarians, reveals that many are helping students buy food, uniform items, shoes and stationery. The findings were published to coincide with the union's annual celebration of school support staff, known as stars in our schools. The survey also indicates that 98% of those questioned are concerned that their own pay is not enough to cover the spiralling cost of living. One in eight workers say they have used food banks within the last year, and 27% have taken second or even third jobs to help make ends meet. 50% of those polled also said they were actively seeking other jobs in order to achieve higher pay. In Scotland, the EIS union has announced 16 more strike days planned for next year, as it continues to put pressure on the Scottish Government to increase pay. The action will take place over 16 consecutive days in January and February, with teachers in two local authorities walking out each day. The first day of strike action was held on Thursday the 24th of November. A further national strike day is planned for the 10th of January for primary, special and early years establishments and the 11th of January for secondary schools. Unions stated that further action was required because of a lack of willingness to negotiate by government. In related news, an estimated 70,000 university workers embarked on strike action over pay and working conditions. Those striking included researchers, academics and administrators, as well as caterers, cleaners and other support staff from Unison and Unite Unions. The university and college unions say that staff are at breaking point due to poor pay, working conditions and job insecurity. It is thought the industrial action has affected as many as 2.5 million students and is being reported as the biggest strike in UK higher education history. Further action is planned for next week. The strike action is being supported by the National Union of Students, but Robert Halfen, Minister for Skills, Apprenticeships and Higher Education in England, described the action as highly disappointing and urged all sides to work together to reach a solution. Staying with higher education, Universities UK has released a statement in response to speculation that the UK government may look to reduce international student numbers. It comes after Downing Street said PM Rishi Sunak is considering a variety of options to control immigration, including looking at the issues of student dependence and low quality degrees. The comments followed data indicating higher net migration up to June 2022, with foreign students being one of the biggest driving forces. Vivian Stern, MBE, Chief Executive of Universities UK said, cutting international student numbers would run directly counter to the government's strategy to rebuild the economy. She went on to say that international students make a net positive contribution of at least £26 billion per year and sustain jobs in towns and cities around the UK. The full statement can be found on the University's UK website. Over the last few weeks, we've reported regularly on the World Skills competition, and this week the results of the UK national finals were revealed. FE Week carries full details of the story, but the results were broadcast from Channel 4's Steph's Packed Lunch studio. Steph McGovern announced over 200 bronze, silver and gold medal winners across 63 categories. In total, 217 young people were recognised, 
up from 186 last year. The competition highlights the vital role of colleges and organisations offering apprenticeships in growing a high-value skills economy, as well as supporting young people to achieve excellence in their chosen field. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, it's the longest, darkest term. It's cold, it's wet. You go to work in the dark, you come home in the dark. Is there any tech out there that can help us get through this term? Of course there is! Meditation is known to give you a healthy mindset, and the knock-on effect from that is better well-being. The Muse headband can help you on your mental health journey by bringing meditation into your daily routine. It monitors your brain activity during meditation sessions, which you can view using the Muse app. The headband itself uses a sensor to provide feedback on how your mind works as you meditate, ensuring you keep your mind focused and on meditation itself, not exterior problems or thoughts. After your session, the band uses the data collected on your brain activity to provide advice on how to control your breathing better and reach your calm space during sessions. Impact on the pocket is big, with this device weighing in at over 200 pounds, and I'm not sure it'll help you block out any wet break times, but it might be something to consider for when you get home. Okay, meditation may not be your bag. How about being able to get to sleep faster? And I don't mean the go to bed and be asleep before you hit the pillow. I'm talking about trying to get back to sleep when you wake up in the night and your brain starts racing. Definitely something for the more sensible budget. At 30 to 40 pounds, the Dodo is a little device that claims to be able to get you to sleep in eight minutes. It uses light to encourage deep, calming sleep. With a bit of further research on a popular shopping site, I found out that over half the reviews said it worked for them, and a few reviews that were negative seemed to lack perseverance. Want a free way to just vent? Instead of inflicting your day on colleagues or loved ones, why not make a journal or blog? Keep it to yourself, or put it online for the world to see. Obviously, you may not want to identify yourself in a public forum, but having a good old rant is known to make you feel better. You never know. You may even find a solution to the problems you're having while reflecting. There are lots of free blogging tools out there, or even create a profile or group on social media. Get it off your chest. As always, I'd love to hear from you. Do you have any tech for well-being? Let us know at TTR2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Thank you there to Steve with that two minute tech. Always enjoy those tips for little gadgets and ways that we can continue to improve our daily well-being. So welcome back to the Friday morning break here on Teachers Talk Radio with me, Poppy Gibson. And thank you again to Nicola, our first guest who spoke to us before the news there about how we can support learners with SEND. And now for the second part of the show, we are welcoming the fantastic Julia Carr, Senior Lecturer in Primary Education. So good morning, Julia. Hopefully, Julia will be coming to join us shortly. Um, yes, Julia, if you want to just try calling in again. I know Julia's been listening in from the start, um, so might just need to rejoin. Julia is one of my colleagues at Anglia Ruskin University here in Essex. Um, and it was as soon as Julia told me about some fantastic work she's been doing about community 
um, organizing that I just knew that I needed to bring her on the show today to talk to you about her brilliant and inspiring ideas. Um, I'm not sure if community organizing is something that any of you listeners already know about, but if you don't, then hopefully you will um, find this really interesting and it will make you think how community organizing is something you might want to bring into your very own classroom. So one second, we're just going to see if we can have Julia to come and join us. Um, the one thing that I know Julia's going to raise, but just in um, kind of concerns of time, one thing that I think community organizing does well is it helps us to bring global issues to the kind of local primary classroom level or the college or university level. So I'm not sure whether you with your learners are currently talking about any of the big global issues that we have, um, but Julia is going to talk to us about how she is getting her students to think about making those daily changes that can support those yeah. bigger global issues. Hi, Julia. Welcome. Oh. Welcome. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. <laughs> <laughs> I like I was saying earlier, technology isn't always our oh, friend, so welcome. No. <laughs> You're here, that's all that matters. So welcome, Julia. I was just um, talking to our listeners about a little bit about what community organising is. I haven't given too much away because I'm going to leave it to you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But maybe before you talk to us about community organising, it would be great if you could introduce yourself to us a bit more and maybe tell us a little bit about your background in education, please. Yeah, well, my background in education hasn't been that that long. I came into it as a, a, a very mature starter um, and it all came about really kind of linked to what Nicola does. Um, with fighting to get fighting the system to get my um, autistic son the support that he needed and finding out just how hard that was and it really lit a fire about wanting to change the world as it was and to change the system and that led to me going back to university to study and I've kind of stayed there. <laughs> I went to study and uh, and then I started lecturing and now mm -hmm. I'm, I'm loving the job I do. And I've just, I'm on the point of completing my PhD um, looking at autism, still wanting to change the world, um, which kind you of- You are, Julia, me... you are changing the world. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of led me into community organising. And, and thankfully, ARU is kind of, allowed me to expand my role to bring that to the university which is very exciting fantastic so so do please enlighten us what exactly is community organizing and i think i've given it a really poor explanation so <laughs> over to you well it, it's not that complicated really it's, it's just a way that people who aren't happy with the way things are in their community can kind of come together to make change um, and it's really based on building relational power so we build relationships between local people and local organizations so that together they've got power to hear their voices heard and and kind of hold the people that are in power to account and get changes made um, and in order to kind of make that happen and bring people together 
Mm -hmm. at ARU, we're part of um, an organisation called Citizens UK. So, and they work nationally and locally to, to kind of help bring people together and to support them in developing ways to, to make that change in their communities. That sounds fantastic, Julia. Thank you. So, so I guess my next question has to be then, how can we embed community organising? Well, <laughs> I guess there isn't one way of doing that and, and different organisations do that in different ways because of who they are and the people that are involved. But from, I guess, from an educational institution's point of view, um, I've seen lots of schools that develop this and, and they have social action clubs within the school, primary and secondary schools and FE colleges. Mm -hmm. And they, it kind of, it helps the children understand about local issues. So it, it, it uh, engages them with their local communities yeah. um, to see what they would like to change and how they might go about that change. And it really develops leadership skills within um, very young people. I was at a, an assembly in Peterborough a few weeks ago and they had a representatives from a primary school up on the stage and wow. uh, a little girl about six years old stood up and said I'm a part of a social action club at school and it helps me make changes and it was it was such a powerful moment this little this little child holding adults to account for maybe not really doing the same thing was incredibly powerful wow that's fantastic um, but at ARU, we kind of started small. We started with one mod module in particular, and now we're expanding that right across the university and developing uh, our, our students as change makers, but obviously also developing it from a research side with participatory research um, with the local community to kind of understand mm -hmm. the issues a bit more and how we can respond to them. So there's lots of ways of that we can embed um, community organising across educational institutions. Fantastic. And I love that word you use there, Julia, change makers. Like that just sounds so exciting. Like it gives me goosebumps. Like, ooh, like this is, this is something exciting, a way that we can encourage the future generation to be wanting to make these changes. That is incredible. So um, this sounds really interesting, what you're doing at university level. Could you maybe tell us a bit more about this current module? Yeah, so ARU, two years ago now, we started, we have a whole suite of what we call Ruskin modules, and they are interdisciplinary. So it means that instead of just staying within their course teams and the peers that they have around them, all of our year two students um, have to take a Ruskin module that means that they work with um, students across the university and all of our Ruskin modules at their core have the UN Sustainable Development Goals um, and mine is focused on community organising so they the students have to we give them taster training in community organising over a number of weeks and then they have to identify an issue in their community link it to one of the sustainable development goals so that they kind of understand that there are global issues mm -hmm. but that 
they those global issues translate to problems in their own community uh, and then they have to use their community organizing training to plan how they would go about uh, responding to that issue and trying to make a change for the better so what change would they like to see who identify who holds the power to make that change work mm -hmm. out why those people could be persuaded to make that change so we talk to them about self-interest and um, in a positive way kind of identifying why power holders might might want to make change um, and how then they would go about getting a seat at the table to negotiate with those power power holders and get them to make changes so we're developing skills in them that are going to be useful in whatever careers they go into art of being able to negotiate and get people to change in the way that you want them to change is useful in no matter what you do um, but also hopefully a number of them will go on to actually take that into their communities and to start making change in their communities that's fantastic you're so right i think these are skills that are lifelong they, they have lifelong value don't they so if we can develop them in our younger learners this is fantastic are you, are you able to share with us maybe one of the little changes that your students are working on if that's if that's allowed <laughs> yeah no that, that's fine so actually it's good timing because we've just decided what project that they would like to take forward um after the the modules finished so oh wow, they're, wow okay they're keen to they're keen to carry on working um after it finished so um the students in groups had to present their ideas and then they voted on which idea they would like to take forward um and the one that they'd like to take like wanting to take forward is to uh work to install reverse vending machines in both chelmsford and cambridge campuses and then oh, wow uh, they have major plane plans to get them installed across the two cities but we're going to start with the campuses and just start small um and that idea is that there are machines installed where people can recycle um plastic bottles and get monetary credit for the recycling that they do for those of your listeners who like me are old enough to remember the times that you could take your glass bottles back to the shop it works very much on that idea you you recycle mm -hmm. and you get financially rewarded for it which kind of it helps with recycling and sustainability but it also helps in a very small way with the cost of living that uh, crisis that our students are um, going through at the moment definitely and i suppose it must also help i mean Hopefully, most of the students will be motivated to use the reverse vending machine. But presumably, if someone had thrown a bottle, you know, like littered, presumably some some people, if they're very um, active, might want to, you know, pick up other people's rubbish and put yeah. that into the vending machine. So absolutely, it's a great idea for just like keeping the environment kind of tidy and safe. This is a great idea. Yeah, and hopefully embedding good habits in people so that they do it even when they're not close to a vending machine so that they they get used to the habit of not putting things on the floor definitely and and hopefully then like you say as well to have the habit of not doing it just for like monetary reward yeah. but just because <laughs> that yeah exactly <laughs> i love this so this sounds really inspiring what what would you say to any of our educators listening whether they're i mean 
primary teachers, secondary, college or, or HE like us? What if they're feeling inspired from your brilliant words today about getting involved with community organising? Like where do they start, Julia? Well, I think the easiest place to start really would be Citizens UK because that whole infrastructure then and the training and everything is is there for you. Um, and there are citizens groups across uh, across the country and there are more starting all of the time. So they could look on the Citizens UK website, which is just citizensuk.org and have a look to see whether there are any near them. Um, because they Citizens UK, as I said before, they offer training, they, they provide community organisers in an area that will help guide local groups onto how to get engaged. And in, in where I'm based in, in Chelmsford in Essex, we've mm -hmm. got um, community organisers that are working with schools and colleges, and also obviously they're working with us at ARU, um, to kind of guide them through the process, to, to give them training and to help them identify kind of potential leaders. So for us, that's staff and students. And like I said before, for schools, that can be very young children right the way through. The, the Peterborough Assembly that I was talking about, two of the, the people that ran that assembly were secondary school pupils and they were on stage the whole time and they were absolutely amazing with what they did wow. and they had been given training by citizens uk to get them to that point but it's very much about not only is it about making change in the community but it's about developing leaders from the community as well um, and that the community organizers are there to help do that um, if they go on the website and there isn't anything in their area, they can absolutely email Citizens UK and, and say, I'm here and I'd like to start something. Or if they want to get in contact with me as well, I can um, funnel that through to the right people at Citizens as well. Um, but I would say, go for it. It's been the most amazing thing to be involved in. Wow. Um, and the reaction of, yeah, the reaction of our university students that I've spoken to, um, it really has proven that kind of getting involved in this makes them feel more powerful and, and that they can actually make a positive change rather than just thinking that life's not what they want it to be, but they don't know what to mm -hmm. do about it. So it can have a very positive impact on the way that they feel about life in general, really, and that it's not outside all outside of their control. Definitely. And I love for, for those students you've been working with who've come up with that reverse vending machine idea, like just to see when those machines become installed on campus, that they have made a kind of tangible change. That is so exciting. And exactly what you're saying, Julia, if this is going to make people ambitious, it's going to give people, you know, ambition and aspirations that they perhaps might not have seen in themselves before they, they realise that they can make a change. That is just so powerful. Yeah, I mean, have we got time to have I got time to tell you a short story about something that happened last year? Just to yes, please do. We've yeah. got we've got okay. five minutes. I love a story. Okay, right. <laughs> okay, so last year I ran the, the Ruskin module for the first time, and um, one of the assignments that they have to do for it is to write a reflection on um, 
their feelings through the, mo the module, their feelings about working with people that they wouldn't normally have worked with, uh, mm -hmm. what went well, what, what they would have done differently next time, but also on how it has changed them as people. And one of the students uh, included a reflection on the way that it had helped him make change with people that he cared about and he his background he came for or his family came from india and he his family still had relatives in in a very rural part of of india um and they were um most of the area it was very rural and most of the area was farming they it was owned by big landlords the the standard of living was very low mm -hmm. and they wanted to make change but they didn't know how to go about it so he flew back to India to help organize the lo his local community out there to approach the land the landowners and to negotiate a change in the way that they were be that they were living that the, the rules that they were living under um, and it, there's still a long way to go but they have begun to make change and they have begun wow. begun to live a better way and he he was a second year undergraduate student who had no intention of coming on the module to make that change in an inter to have that international <laughs> impact but felt empowered to be able to go and, and do that and it was the most amazing thing to read from a student um, that's incredible I, I, yeah it was great oh, I'm not, you're giving not me goosebumps all... just just hearing that story i'm so glad I, you shared it with us <laughs> not all of the students are going to do that by any means but it does make a difference in it to a lot of them. It makes um, a difference to them as people. Mm -hmm. Wow, wonderful! And I think you're exactly right that if it if it's showing people that and that that word used there, if it empowers people to even make those those small changes in their community, it's when we all you know make those changes that we see those bigger global changes, isn't it? So, what what fantastic work you're doing! Thank you so much. Um, I know, oh, I mean, Julie, I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> you, you said there um, very kindly that if people wanted to contact you, um, you'd be happy for them to get in touch. Is, is there a best way that um, you'd be happy for listeners to get in touch with you if they have something related to community organising? Yeah, I guess uh, probably just email would be easiest. It's just julia.car at aru.ac.uk. And Fantastic. Yeah, happy, happy to try and signpost people or if there's anybody in Essex or Cambridge, then I'm more than happy to get you involved with what we're doing there. Oh, that's so very kind of you. Thank you, Julia. And just before you go, I've got I've got a final question. Um, I know I asked Nicola kind of what what was her advice for, for people. And I know that you've already kind of said your advice for people wanting to get in in touch, have a look at the Citizens um, UK website. Just have you just generally got any other advice? I think your your journey into teaching is such an interesting one. Have you got some advice for those people just starting out? Any listeners who are trainee teachers or ECTs, NQTs? What what are those kind of final words of wisdom, please? I would say um, know what you're passionate about. Know what makes you want to get up in the morning and then find a way of bringing that into your work. And that way it'll make at least part of your work fun and fulfilling and it'll be so worthwhile. 
beautiful and I can hear your passion is what what you're doing so I think that's what makes us love our job isn't it even more so I know Nicola said focus on the learners and you've heard it here from Julia Carr to find your passion so just thank you both so much for joining us I hope you've enjoyed talking to me today (laughs) Um, it's been wonderful thank you Thank you so much. And to all our listeners who've joined us, um, all the fantastic people commenting in the chat this morning, great to have you with us. Um, and hopefully I'll be back for another show with you in two weeks' time. So wishing you all a beautiful weekend and um, take care, everyone. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live.